quite easy. For me, the one thing that I'm really interested in and I've been working really hard on is how do I offer the same kind of tools and accessibility for anybody to be able to start making three-dimensional content before it gets locked into the hands of the few. Yeah. And that's, that's why I got started working. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hey, Brad. Hey, Tiffany. Always fun to be here. You know, you were recently featured as the 200th guest on the Digital to Learn podcast, which was fun. You didn't want any fuss about it, but I'm here to make a, a little fuss about it because I think it's awesome. But today, you're back in the co-host role where I get to talk over you and probably drive you crazy. We are really excited, though, to put the attention on our guest today, who we found on LinkedIn and we're absolutely amazed by. We are joined today by Dr. Nani De La Pena. Dr. Nani De La Pena is regarded as one of the most influential pioneers in virtual and augmented reality and was recently named WSJ Technology Innovator of the Year. A Wired Magazine, hashtag Make Tech Human, Agent of Change, she has been called the godmother of virtual reality by Engadget and The Guardian. Additionally, Fast Company named her one of the people who made the world more creative and CNET's 20 Most Influential Latinos in Tech for her pioneering work in immersive storytelling. As CEO of Emblematic Group, she leads the company in creating cutting-edge technologies to tell stories that create intense, empathetic engagement. Her latest endeavor, Reach.Love, is a no-code web XR platform that intends to empower anyone to create and distribute AR and VR stories straight into the browser. A New America Fellow, Yale Pointner Media Fellow, and winner of the Knight Innovation Award, Dr. De La Pena is widely credited with creating the genre of immersive journalism. Currently a member of the BAFTA Virtual Reality Board, she is a former correspondent for Newsweek, and her virtual reality work has been featured by the New York Times, BBC, Mashable, Vice, Wired, and many others. Showcases around the globe include the Sundance and Tribeca Film Festivals, the World Economic Forum in Davos, the Victoria and Albert Museum, Moscow Museum of Modern Art, and Games for Change. She has more than 20 years of award-winning experience in print, film, and TV, and has used her broad knowledge to innovate in this burgeoning field. Her spatial narratives are consistently met with critical acclaim. We are happy to welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast, Dr. Nani De La Pena. Welcome, Dr. De La Pena. Good morning. Great to get a chance to be with you on your podcast. For our listening audience, you had a chance to hear her bio. It's absolutely incredible, but we're going to make things fun, we hope, and do some get-to-know-you questions that you can't find on LinkedIn and on her resume and in her bio. And after diving into those get-to-know-you questions, then we'll explore some topics related to her professional and scholarly work. Brad, you want to get us started with those get-to-know-you questions? Sure. We can look at books, TV shows, and films to see a writer's imagination of the future. Someone somewhere sat down and wrote down a vision, and now so many of those have become a reality. Virtual reality started as an after-hours hobby. With VR now a reality, what's the next big thing, and what are your after-hour hobbies? My favorite thing I go on and on about right now is something called a Gaussian splat. G-A-U-S-S-I-A-N, Gaussian splat. 
was going to shorten them, just splats. And what that is, just literally a paper was published this last August, so very recently, fall of 2023. And in that paper, there's been some Gaussian mathematics applied to basically three-dimensional visualization. But what that means is you can film somebody or film something, take a couple minutes just to circle around it, make sure you get every edge of it, upload it to AI, places like Luma Lab or Polycam, and they will return you back a three-dimensional model within just, you know, under an hour. So it used to take us so long to make three-dimensional content that then you could look at a playback of virtual or augmented reality. Suddenly now with the help of AI, this idea of moving from our, a flat presentation to people, and obviously our world isn't flat, into something more accurate, something the way that we really live in this three-dimensional way, is, I wouldn't even call this one step forward. This is a rocket ship to Mars change. So what might be an application for using that technology? What do you film? What do you go out and film? I'll start with, since I'm best known for having used virtual reality and augmented reality for journalism, I pioneered the idea of immersive journalism, coined the term. This takes me from trying to recreate a scene of something that's happened using just 3D modeling tools, doing a bunch of different photographs, bringing people to different stages with big green screen rooms and lighting, et cetera. Now let's say there's a scene, I'll do something very simple, car crash, and it's blocking a major street. You could, in a few minutes, have filmed that and turn it into 3D model, and now people are actually walking around the car crash versus just seeing it flat. Now, that's one example. Obviously, there's a lot of reporting that we do that has imagery associated with it that is hard to imagine. And this is just a way to, to do this, but we're doing it for a lot of fun stuff too. Do you have any sense of where that name came from? Gaussian splat? Yeah, the, Ga- the Gaussian is a Gaussian mathematics. It's a mathematical, a known <laughs> mathematical function, I guess for lack of a better word, that then got applied to 3D graphics. It's really interesting how somebody just does this one Thing. It's a combination because we've got new lenses, we have lots of different kinds of new headsets that have mm-hmm. advanced the ability to send the information, but this ability to capture and produce the information is really quite new and unique. Now I'm going off script here, but you said we have lots of new headsets and, and devices and lenses, and I got to mention, can you share with our <clears throat> listening audience how you're connecting to our audio this morning on the podcast? <laughs> I am wearing my Bose, just like the same speaker company, Bose glasses, they're sunglasses, right? And they have bone conduction audio so that my glasses have my microphone and my speakers that play back. And the sound is phenomenal. And the fact that I'm just talking to you through my glasses means I'm always hands-free. They connect to your phone and the sound is phenomenal. And if you're like me and like to ride your bike to work, it means you can still hear the cars coming, et cetera, et cetera, anything around you that's important, but still get to have extraordinary sound quality. I have to say, they've been a game changer for me. It's a jaw-dropping revelation for us when you joined the podcast that way today, but I imagine 10 years from now, when we still have millions of listeners that are tuning into our old podcast episodes, they're going to say, what's the big deal? We all have those. <laughs> That's how we're tuning in right now. It's crazy to think. Absolutely. That's gonna be, that right. will be the norm. I promise you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We won't all be cramming our neck over to look at our phone. We'll just be having put our glasses on. Let's imagine that you said to that first question that your after hour hobby was focused on time travel. And now you have your first working prototype. Who do you go to visit? When and why? 
So one of the people, I know this is a strange one, but there's a few folks I, I, I obviously am, am very interested in. Any place where we lost languages or information, like the way that we saw so much culture stuff for the Maya and Incans, et cetera, destroyed. So it'd be great to go back and see that. But one of the other scenes that I've always been really interested in was this guy, Nathaniel Bowditch, who was this indentured servant who managed to work his way out of his indentured servitude because he was such a such like dedicated to learn Latin, mathematics, and eventually worked his way up, got to Harvard, became a ship's captain. And he actually was a person who figured through mathematical equations how to shoot the stars on sailing. Wow. And in fact, his logs were used by the U.S. Uh, Navy until just the 1940s. And by the way, this is this is late 1780s or 90s that we're talking about, around for a long time. It's when his era was. And one night, they were coming into Boston area. In fact, some people said it was Christmas night, although Christmas wasn't celebrated the same way then. And it was so foggy. And he had to use his mathematical equations to get to port in the densest, densest fog. And he did successfully. So being on that ship at that moment, I don't know, it would be an extraordinary, knowing that he did it successfully, it would be an extraordinary <laughs> moment to time travel to, to see what it must have been like to be in that fog trying to get to port just based on the brilliance of this man. Yeah. That is amazing. And I, I'm guessing there are literally thousands of people like him hidden through history who did amazing things that just don't get credit for it. Mm -hmm. It's one of those stories that eventually I'll get around to making them in VR and XR. So we've heard that you appeared on an episode of Shark Tank for a documentary project. <laughs> what dream project are you looking for? So one of my biggest goals has been how do we democratize these technologies, right? How do we uh, uplift different voices? How do we make this technology so that it isn't just in the hands of the monoculture, the elite? And obviously, we've seen a real shift with AI, right? That's been really exciting to see how AI can help people write code. And my students are using it a lot for creating if you know that some of the AI things like Midjourney or Dolly will give mm -hmm. you some art, it'll help them do storyboards or even what we call textures. And what textures are is when you design a three-dimensional object, if it's going to have a wooden surface or if it's going to have a metallic surface, what you place on there is literally just like a JPEG onto the 3D model to show either a wood texture or a you know metal texture. So with Dolly or Midjourney, you can design those textures very quickly in a way that used to be rather time-consuming. That all said, to actually assemble and have story playback, we now know with film, people can edit videos all the time. That used to be a very difficult thing. I'm old enough that I used to actually learn how to cut celluloid film with a knife to tape edits together. And here we are now, we see what it means to be able to make video. It's quite easy. For me, the one thing that I'm really interested in and I've been working really hard on is how do I offer the same kind of tools and accessibility for anybody to be able to start making three-dimensional content before it gets locked into the hands of the few. Yeah. And that's that's why I got started working on Reach.Love. I'd love to tell you more about Reach if you want. Yeah, let's hear it. Uh, so yeah, great. You can go to the you can go to the beta at try.reach.love. And what Reach is a what we call web XR. What does that mean? I mean you don't have to download anything. You don't have to have an app. 
You can go straight to a browser and you can play it back in a browser, a phone, or a virtual reality headset, right? So it's very flexible in that way. And if you use your computer, you would just use the same kind of keys, arrow keys or WASD keys as when you're doing uh, gaming. On your phone, you can just tap the top to go forward, the bottom to go back, and it literally moves you through three-dimensional space. And with a headset, you can walk around. But also what we've done is we've started creating button-based tools to let people assemble the content so they don't have to know how to code. It's been a real a journey to make it super simple for anybody to start making three-dimensional content. Now you're going to want to go to the big guys to get, you know, more complicated physics. If you're going to use really create a game or something that's got a lot of complicated actions and reactions, you're going to want to go to Unity, which is a game engine or Unreal, which is made by Epic Games, which just won the big suit against Apple for Fortnite. And but for right now, if you go to our beta, it's a beta and I've been bootstrapping. This is not a big funded project. This is a labor of love to try to, as I say, democratize the ability for anyone to be able to make and play in the space. You can go to try.reach.love. And- Check it out yourself. Our listening audience can hear how naturally our the passion section, the section about getting to know you has transitioned now into your work. And I think it is evident that you just love and live your dreams and your goals and um, that they all, everything's tied together. So let's talk a little bit more about Reached Out Love. How can it be used by faculty uh, to connect critical real life topics and spaces to curriculum? This is a great question because I think that for faculty, if you haven't seen some of the results on what it means for three-dimensional content for learners and how much better they score, how much more they remember. This goes back as far as 2006, when they took a three-dimensional model of an ear and showed it to one group, and then they had the other group, the control group, look at a flat ear. The control group was the three-dimensional ear, and then they had people looking at a flat ear to study the parts. And the group that got a three-dimensional ear had a mean score at 83% compared to the flat score of of 63%. Hmm. Uh, we've seen this with nurses, medical training, et cetera. So for you to think about what it is to try, where you try to take your students, you try to take them into different locations. Are you trying to show them molecular chemistry? Are you trying to demo uh, the velocity of wind? Whatever these things are, it is often a, an attempt to represent our physical world in some capacity. And using three-dimensional spaces is just such more of a successful methodology for informing, for remembering, for acquiring and keeping knowledge. Again, REACH is set up so that people who really are interested in presenting this stuff for their students, this is one of the tools that makes it easy for professors to come in and start using buttons. In the same way, you maybe people are using Canva to make design or even, I still use PowerPoint all the time and just assemble with clicks a visual slide so people can see what I'm talking about. This is a way to take that into dimension. It's just trying to be a a way to offer uh, clicks and no code for uh, professors to be able to provide content for their students. And you can also bring some, export it and bring it into some of these multiplayer worlds like spatial. And that means you can actually meet inside these spaces if you want Okay. 
Thank you for expanding on what REACH Love is and how it's applicable to our faculty. But if we could rewind a bit, how did you get into this world of, especially the intersection of journalism and virtual reality and these immersive experiences? Yeah. I, you know, career is a funny one. I grew up in Venice, California, in Venice High School, where as I ended up as a fresh person at Harvard, where I, when I showed up, I didn't even have a coat or boots or I knew nothing. And I used to say to my fellow students, oh, my year was a really good year. We only had one shootout. But I think it was that kind of fearlessness of like used to just being able to end up somewhere very strange. Because I certainly wasn't hanging out with gangs at Venice High. And I certainly wasn't from the elite families at Harvard, but I could enter these spaces, right? And if you can enter these spaces and think about them and try to give what Martha Gellhorn called the view from the ground, give people an idea of what it looks like to be in these spaces, I think I was a natural visitor to spaces as a journalist and to try to share stories, right? But also I think particularly the legacy of my mom describing stories about being Mexican-American and in Texas and the kind of discrimination she met. You know, it's interesting, some of them like, They'd go into a restaurant and they would say, okay, we're ready to order. And, and nobody would ever come to take the order, mm. she and her friends, right? I'll be right back. And they would just never take the order. So racism comes in these special ways or whatever. So it seemed to me that I think my passion for telling these stories or why like, I want people to understand, maybe it comes also from that. So combine all that sense of being able to go to different places and see and observe, have a passion for telling stories that matter. And I really wanted to convey it in a way that was more visceral, that was stronger. And I'd read about Howard Rheingold's book on virtual reality. And I was like, this may be the trick. This may be the thing. And I, I had become a correspondent for Newsweek magazine. I have worked for major news organizations, BBC. I've also written on staff on TV shows, produced some TV films, many documentaries as a director. So like, I, I really had a career in understanding the nonfiction piece of this. And when I read that book, I just was like, oh, how do I use this? How do I use these technologies to make people really understand and connect to other people in a decisive way? And that's pushed me to do VR. And I ended up starting to teach myself to code and premiered the very first piece at Sundance Film Festival in Virtual Reality in 2012. It was called Hunger in Los Angeles. And it puts you using real audio at the scene of a food bank where a man with diabetes, didn't get food in time, and he drops into a diabetic coma. And you're there, you're present when this whole thing happens. And that piece launched, I think, a lot of careers. A lot of people will say they saw that piece and decided to get involved in VR. But I ended up having the first virtual reality piece at Sundance, Tribeca Film Festival, first year at South by Southwest, the World Economic Forum. So I led the field in how to use these technologies for news and nonfiction and by the way, use to 3D print our own headsets to be able to really display things. <laughs> because even though Palmer Lucky, who ended up nine months after that first Sundance, starting Oculus Rift, <laughs> at that point, he was working in the lab at USC. He was crashed on my couch. He was driving the truck around. He was like the lab intern. And when he first made the first Oculus Rift, they sat you in a chair. And I wanted people to walk that food bank. So I had to 3D print our own headsets. So it's been a journey. It's been a journey for sure. <laughs> so it's exciting that... You can buy a pretty darn good headset for a few hundred bucks now that you can walk around. And well, it's that part of the show where we do have to press pause in the conversation, but we'll be back next week with Dr. Nani De La Pena, and we look forward to continuing the conversation on the Digital to Learn podcast. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, 
Give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.